All right, brothers and sisters, at this time I want to invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Deuteronomy chapter 30. These are some of Moses' final words. <coughs> he writes the book of Deuteronomy, and it's a fascinating book in its composition. It is composed, the book itself, in the form of a covenant. And in this book, he has five sermons, basically. He's, they've, they've concluded. They're at the very end of the 40 years of wandering. They're on the plains of Moab. They're fixing to, to under Joshua's leadership, launch into the conquest of Canaan. And he there, knowing that his time is short, gives gives these concluding sermons, and here is what he has to say regarding the law of God. And we read from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 14. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the living God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much for this word. And we ask that you would be with us as we seek to dive into it, as we seek to dive into the Bible. Lord, we thank you. Please guard our hearts and guide our minds. For Christ's sake we pray it. Amen. All right, brothers and sisters, it's been a long time since in the Western world the Bible has been outlawed. Okay? But once upon a time in the Western world, it was illegal for you to have a copy of the Bible. Okay? Once upon a time, the church authorities considered it, a, it, it an, a penalty or an offense worthy of the penalty of death to translate the Bible into the language of the people. They labored hard to keep the Bible out of the hands of the people. And that is still the case in places around the world. But here in the West, it is not so. If you want a copy of the Bible, you can go get one. Unfortunately, the problem in modern times is not one of, of official objection to the Bible being in your hands. We have a callousness of heart and an and unimpressionable mind when it comes to the Word of God. And so for many churchgoers, professed Christians, the Bible sits on their shelf collecting dust most of the time, which is sad. And so the aim of this whole month, this whole study, has been simple. I'm not really concerned for you to know academic ins and outs. 
because I don't think any of us are academics. No, I want something very, in one sense, more simple, but in another sense, more important, and it's this. This whole month has been all about trying to instill with you a reverence, appreciation, and love for the Bible, for the Word of God. This is God's revelation to you. It is God's revealed will for every single human on this earth. And so if you get nothing else out of this series, get that these words as we hear from Jesus are life. And that by these words we live. By these words we are nourished and we grow. These aren't simply ink drops on a piece of paper. These are supernaturally charged words so that we can say that the scriptures are living and active. And so we've talked in this series about how the Bible, how sola scriptura, that great formal cause, that is to say the great blueprint of the Reformation, how it says that the Bible alone is our final authority. We can, we can have all sorts of interpretive guides and helps and teachers, but the Bible alone is our final authority. And every human teacher, every human commentary, every human theologian, every human statement of faith, every human creed, every human opinion must be subject to the word of God. And we talked about how this word is inspired, how God literally breathed out his word through the pens of men so that every single word that is recorded is exactly the word that the Holy Spirit intended. And that not only is it breathed out, but it's attended by the Spirit. So that if you would hear the voice of God, turn to the scriptures. We talked about how the Bible was given to us out of necessity. That our sinful hearts make it necessary for us to have revelation given to us that we can better understand the revelation that's there in creation. But then how we can possibly become in right relationship with God. We need the word. But then we learned last week about the sufficiency of scripture. The, this is the point that evangelical Bible-believing Christians struggle to believe. We keep looking for some sort of special revelation given to us. We keep living as if we want God to hold our hands and guide us through life like we're children but rather he has given us everything we need to live obedient, faith-filled lives as adults, which is how we are depicted in Galatians. God has not held out anything on us. He's not kept from you the key that you need to live a good Christian life. He has revealed everything. And now today... We come to the final point 
that was underscored and intended by the doctrine of sola scriptura. And this is the doctrine of the perspicuity or clarity of scripture. The doctrine of the clarity of scripture is unfortunately not very clear. Sometimes. Depending on who, how it's explained. But the doctrine of sufficiency and clarity go hand in hand and they were intended to counter what were at the time the arguments made by the church authorities. Uh, imagine, if you will, uh, the situation back in the day where they actually believed that even most priests were not competent to interpret the word of God. So to this day... In the Roman church, who is the official interpreter of Scripture? It's not just the Pope. It's the whole magisterium, the cardinals in communion with him. Okay? They interpret the Bible. And what they would say is that the Bible was neither sufficient nor clear for two reasons. One, they would say that the Bible has this fourfold sense. Don't worry, we'll get to it. This fourfold sense that is literally oblivious to you unless you've got the secret decoder ring. The second thing they would say is that the Bible doesn't contain everything you need to know about a given topic to know the full story. So, for example, regarding the first point, they would say that because of the fourfold nature of Scripture with its fourfold senses, there are meanings that no natural person would, would think of in the text. For example, if you've read the book of Numbers, you know that there are two great big censuses. Since I, I don't know how you say that in plural. One is at the beginning of the book. The second is at the ending, to show how God prospers the people even under, as they're being disciplined. So this is how many Israelites there were before the 40 years of wandering. And lo and behold, this is how many there are at the end. Okay, it's about counting people and God's faithfulness. Wrong! It's literally about how many steps your soul has to take when it dies to reach God. And that's what we mean. They came up with ideas, they used and twisted the Bible in such a way that they could say whatever they wanted to say, but only they could say it. And so they would say that we alone get to tell you what this is really about, and if you're just reading it by yourself, you won't, of course, see that, so you need us to tell you that that's what it's really about. The second point, though, is directly tied to sufficiency. Imagine... We, we have used the analogy that one of the reasons you read the whole Bible is because what the Bible says about any given topic is not in one verse. You fall into great danger if you base your doctrine on something on one verse, right? So if you want to study what does the Bible teach about salvation, well, you look all throughout the Bible and you synthesize all that the Bible teaches on being, on, on being saved. And you, there you go. You, get, you develop your picture based upon the comprehensive picture of the whole. And each individual passage contributes to it. So, 
In a sense, then, the Bible is kind of like a jigsaw puzzle. You open it up, you open up the puzzle, and you put the pieces together to create the picture. Now imagine if you cut the seal on the box and you dump out all the pieces and you're putting it all together and only to discover as you're constructing the picture that several pieces of the puzzle aren't there. That's what the Roman church taught and teaches. You see, there are two great repositories of truth, the Bible and tradition. You see, in the Roman system, there's this great deal of emphasis on purgatory. In fact, almost everybody goes there, according to their teaching. But you will not find that in the Bible at all. You have to go outside of the Bible to find that. And so they would say, if you look only at the Bible, which doesn't tell you about purgatory, you're not getting the full scoop. Therefore, you need not only the Bible, but all this other stuff to have the full picture and there you go. So the Bible is neither sufficient nor is it clear, is what they would say. And we, in the Reformed Protestant tradition, absolutely reject that. The Bible is both sufficient, as we learned last week, and it is clear. Let me be clear. You do not need a special decoder ring to understand the Bible. What our Reformed forefathers kept going back to the table at is this strikes at our understanding of God himself. First, does God will to reveal himself to us in such a way that we can understand it? Does he or does he not? And if he so wills to do this, is he capable of it? I remember being in CPE, and it was a time in my life where I was put in forced close proximity with ministers from all sorts of traditions, liberal traditions typically. And in the name of saying things that were trying to sound like they're making much of God, they destroyed the doctrine of God. Oh, God. God is so far and so distant that, that human beings are so beneath his great worth and dignity that we can't even understand God to make, a, to make an accurate statement about God. And of course, they only pulled that out when we're talking about God's holiness and justice. When we talk about love, well, they want to talk about that all day long. But the question is, can God communicate with his creation? And of course, the answer is yes, which even a child knows. How do we know that it's not just a fluke that this child says yes? Who, who are some of the people addressed in Scripture? Who is Scripture written to? Everybody. And guess who some people who are addressed? Children are addressed. God intends everybody to read and understand the scriptures. What we are not saying, and this is where it can sound unclear, we are not saying that every single passage in the Bible is easily comprehended. We are not saying that anybody can just open the Bible to any page and intuitively, immediately know what's going on. 
it takes study. And in fact, we have the Apostle Peter famously acknowledge that some scriptures are hard to understand. So I'm going to read these two verses from, from 2 Peter because I want you to see what he's not saying. 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. All right. He acknowledges that some of the things Paul says are hard to understand. What does he not say? He does not say they're impossible to understand. And does he say the... the the sincere and, 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 and well-intentioned Christian comes and, and, dist- and, and twists this up? No, the ignorant and unstable twist this as they do what? The other scriptures. So basically, he paints a picture here where on the face of it, Paul writes things that are hard to understand. And wicked people then exploit that to twist and come up with man-pleasing, ear-tickling, conscience-searing things so that it leads to their destruction, as this passage says, and others. It is not saying, Peter is not saying that you are hopelessly lost when it comes to understanding the hard passages of the Bible. You can understand the word of God. It is not some arcane language given to only a few top clerics that they share the decoder ring with. If you want to understand the Bible, you can do the hard work of exegesis and come to a pretty good grasp. We are not saying with the clarity of Scripture that every single curiosity, every single question gets answered and satisfied, satisfying to our curious minds. We're not saying that everybody has the same powers of deduction. In fact, God gives us teachers. We learn about this in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4, that God gives us teachers. Why? To help us grow. But you got to avoid something. I met a guy who he never brought his Bible to church. Uh, this was back in my, in my first PCA church that I was ever a part of. He didn't bring his Bible. And I, and I asked him, why, why don't you bring your Bible to church? And he said, it's the church's job to give me the scriptures that I need to hear. Let me tell you something. God did not give you, Jesus, your king, did not give you pastors to absolve you of your responsibility to personally engage with his word. He gave pastors and teachers to you that they might point you in the right direction, that they might help with more in-depth meaning. But take John 3.16. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now I might as a teacher be able to provide you a little more insight into the rabbinical understanding of the difference between the Gentile and the Jewish worlds. And, and I may be able to provide you with a little more insight as to the nature of what the Greek word cosmos might mean there. And, and we can talk about the mysteries of only begotten and we can talk about the nature of faith when we speak of believing on him. And I might enhance your understanding and appreciation of that passage. But tell me, dear Christian, did you fundamentally need me to explain for you to understand the precious truth of John 3.16? And the answer is no. Because God's word is clear. Brothers and sisters, you can know God's word. You can learn God's word. It is precious in life. And, and I want you to understand that God's word has its confusing parts, especially when it comes to prophecies about the end. And why do you think that might be the case if God intends to be understood in the first place? Well, I, I really believe that God wants us to be free from arrogance if, we, if he rolled out in every little detail how the end times are, in, in, in just like a straight timeline, well, then where's faith along the way? Would we not just live however, and then as we saw, oh, we have a week left, I better, I better repent? Or would we not live in derision of the world? No, he, he gives us just enough to know that he wins. And here are some things to look out for so you're not deceived. But then he calls us to live by faith. And God gives us enough in his word that we can know enough of him to love him, to fear him, and to worship him in spirit and in truth. You don't need the Bible to tell you that God is there. God has made that revealed in, in the world around you. That's what the Bible says anyway. But you do need the Bible to clear up what would be our misconceptions caused by the futility of our thinking. You learn of God's love. You learn of God's grace. You learn of his holiness. You learn of his unchanging character in which you can place a supreme confidence. The word of God is clear on this. But when it comes to living... Like Moses says here, the word of God is not far off. It's not a mystery. It's near. And so, you can trust God's word and read it simply to understand the two basic parts of scripture. His law and his gospel. You can understand God's law. What is it that God expects of me? You see this all throughout the Bible. But consider the words of Deuteronomy 6. Right after the great Shema is given, what does Moses say? These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. 
You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So surround yourselves with it. Talk about it. Reflect on it. Make it a matter of discussion. Now tell me, how do you discuss things? How do you share things that are incomprehensible? No, the teaching of scriptures, this is simple. Simple language. Do not murder. A teacher can spell out for you some of the implications. But is it really so hard to grasp, do not murder? Of course not. You can understand God's will and you can understand his gospel. Indeed, we discussed Romans or John 3:16. And a teacher can of course spell out the heinous nature of sin for you, but but who really needs explanation when we read from Romans that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? We understand that there's a problem here, that we are short of the glory of God. And, and how is it <clears throat> that we can understand this Christian? Is it that it's just God just threw it out there? No, I want you to have a supernatural understanding of the Bible. The word of God is given to all men. But what do we learn in 1 Corinthians chapter 2? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that the word of God is spiritually discerned and that the natural man cannot receive it, cannot accept it. In fact, it's folly to them. And they don't understand because of the spiritual discernment. So we've talked in a few weeks ago about how the spirit attends the scriptures. Well, believe it, beloved believer, the Holy Spirit has given us the mind of Christ. This is what 1 Corinthians 2.15 tells us. Thereby, we are able not only to intellectually comprehend Scripture, but to see it for what it is, the very wisdom and word of God. So brothers and sisters, not only is the word of God life to you, not only is it necessary for your ongoing spiritual life, it is where you hear the voice of God. And he has not given you something to taunt you. He has given you his word to be understood by you. He has given you what you need in order to understand because he has illumined the eyes of your heart by his spirit. And so, brothers and sisters, my prayer is that you would turn from this series with a newfound appreciation for the word of God as the word of God. And that you would devote yourselves to it. That you would turn to its page for God's will for your life and for God's hope for your hurts. It indeed, it indeed is the very breath of God. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much for this day and for the opportunity that we have to look into your word, to read it, to reflect on it, to hear your voice in it, to derive comfort from it. Lord, 
It reveals precious truths, words to live by, because they are truth themselves. We thank you for how it reveals your law and your gospel and how it communicates to us who you are, that we can love you better. We pray that our hearts would be inflamed with a passion for your word, that we would see ourselves as stewards of it, that we would pass on a love of it to our children and to our grandchildren after them. And be with us, that we would have the will and the faith to submit to what we read so clearly in it. In Christ's name we pray, amen.